So if you are just joining us or you've been traveling, we are in a series of First John. We've been working through it for the last few weeks. It's a letter, so a little bit of context to it is John and, or the school of John, there's some debate among scholars as who, who wrote this letter, but I've fallen to the, it was John Camp who wrote this. So this context, he's living in, he's the last surviving apostle, the person to walk with Jesus, learn from Jesus. All his friends have been martyred. They're now, they're killed, if you don't know what that means. And he's old. You know, he's getting to the end of his life. He's expected Jesus Christ to return. Hasn't happened, so it's a bit confusing. And he's kind of worried about, like, what is going to happen to this church? These, like, really small gatherings across this small part of the world at that time, you know, they, we read that, and we're like, oh, wow, like, so huge. And really, they're like little small pockets of people gathering as, oh, like, the, the Roman Empire was starting to organize to try to suppress and um, basically stomp out the church at the time. So it's really troublesome. So we have John here then. So what he writes this letter to us, and it's very pastoral, very loving, very caring to God's people. And so it's such a beautiful letter, and it's been so fun to work through. And we're going to continue into that today, and we're going to look at 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 3. But I think before we get into today, um, it's really important that we build off on what we've kind of been going through. So last week, Anthony, he talked on kind of um, well, one pretty hard and pretty can be troublesome passage. He talked about the Antichrist and Antichrists. And he did a great job addressing that. So we, we talk about these Antichrists. And then also what John said last week was hold on to these teachings. He talks about we need to hold on to what the apostles taught. And we also looked at this idea of like, wait a second, 2,000 years ago, these, these people were like, hold on to this. And then you have 2,000 years of studying of life, cultural changes. So you're like, what do we hold on to? Like, there's so many things. Do we hold on to this belief or that belief? Is this a cultural thing or is this a biblical thing? So there's so many things. It's like such a confusing thing to be like, okay, John, what do you want us to hold on to today? Um, and that's where we're going to jump right into today is like, what does John want us to hold on to? So let me read from this passage. 1 John 2:28. So now, little children, four words in, let's pause. Um, you're like, oh, it's going to be a long sermon, four words at a time. No, I just want to make a note because preparing through this, it, it's we're, it's going to be a little bit out of order than the text kind of walks through, but I just want to say, little children, think about that word in these words and this identity as little children. It's very intentional language John is using. It's familial. Um, it's loving. And once we get more into the middle of this passage, we're going to actually step into the little children piece. So I just want to say it and throw it out there now. Um, so let me read on. So now, little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So the first thing I want to talk to and look at is just imagine, you're, we're sitting here, we're gathered, it's July 9, 2023, just a pretty random basic Sunday in our life. 
But imagine like comes through those doors, like Jesus just walks in and he walks into church with us and he just sits down. What would we do? (laughs) How would we respond to that? And then think about this idea of if Jesus walked into your life at any random moment, where would he find you? What would you be thinking about? What would you be doing? Who would you be with? You know, what, what, how would he come and, and how would you respond to him entering your life? Um, and that is what we want to press into because as John says here, let me say this again, when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And I think there's, there's two images, kind of two contrasting pictures we can look at here is one, John is saying, hey, you can stand confidently, unashamed before the Lord. And then if we rewind back to the beginning of the biblical narrative in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve taking on sin. What is the first effect? They find themselves naked and ashamed. So when God appears to them, they're hiding. They're, so they're living in fear and they're shameful. So we see that sin is causing us and causing people to be ashamed before God. And it causes us to lack a confidence. But then John is saying, in Christ, through Christ, we can stand before God at his coming or Jesus' coming, and we can be confident and we can be ashamed. And this is huge. This is so freeing when you really think about who is God? Who is Jesus? And, and I think um, there's a story that it was probably, it was like one of my seminary professors, he was telling us like he was preaching at a church, and I think he was up in Canada, and he asked the congregation, he was like, will you guys do me a favor? Will you raise your hand and engage with me on, on something? And they're like, sure. And he said, raise your hand if right now you had the opportunity to be in heaven with Jesus, would you take that? And he says, maybe like one or two people raise their hand. They're like, no, like we're not ready. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, it's kind of scary to think of actually Jesus showing up and heaven becoming our true reality. And I think what is important is, is because some of the ways we see Jesus, we see heaven is like very extra spiritual, in which there is a spiritual reality to this, but there's also such a human nature. I mean, Jesus literally came to earth with us. He walked, he lives as human, and as we get later into this passage, we'll see there is still some future hope to come that we haven't quite been revealed and we don't know yet, so there is like this strange mystery about heaven, but when we look to Jesus and when we trust in this witness of John, we're like, wait, we should be excited to receive Jesus. We should be ready for this and wanting that. And, um, and so this is kind of, when I was like preparing this, I just wrote out this quick little, one of these prayers, and it just basically is like, oh, Spirit of God, renew in us an attitude, a belief, this expectation of your return. So let us recognize that your Spirit is present moment by moment, and let us give the smallest moments of our life to you, Lord. And so this expectation of Jesus' coming and having a confidence and not being ashamed by his coming is huge. And when, when we're connecting this with what do we hold on to from the apostles, 
we then look in the scriptures and we read the New Testament. It's like the last half of the Bible if you're newer to the Bible, but it's, it's, at, it's all these writings about who Jesus was, his events, and then post-Jesus, how did people live? But so we see these apostles, these people of faith, they gave their life to such a hopeful expectation. One of these people is Paul. Like he writes some of his letters and you see some testimony about him. He's continually, repeatedly beaten for his beliefs, um, left for dead. Um, he's in prison at one point and he's praying and singing as in falsely in prison. So you're like, wait a second, like this doesn't make sense. If I got arrested, like I'm probably gonna be thinking about like, okay, how do I afford a lawyer? Who's my lawyer? Like, what's going to happen to this? Like, what about my reputation? Like, and here we see this person singing and praising God. And that what was so huge with this early church and these apostles was their expectation. They were literally like ready moment by moment by moment. Like, oh, God's coming. Jesus is coming. This is the moment. This is the moment. So they lived and, and not in anxiety, not like, oh, I'm going to be scared, but in this freedom of confidence. And the actions they, they chose, the life they chose reflected this confidence they had before the Lord. And so that, I think, is a huge, if we can read 1 John and we can come to this point and place and, like, we can stand and we're prepared if Jesus was to come now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 2,000 years from now, how do we develop that expectation? And it is fair. Like, honestly, it's been 2,000 years where, like, the second coming of Jesus, and then we have all, like Anthony talked about, this Antichrist talk, so there's all this, like, this weird kind of doctrine around that's kind of scary and like some people are really radical. So you're like, I don't think that's right what he's saying, but it's kind of weird. So I'm gonna like stray away from that. So we've had this like 2000 years of Jesus hasn't come back. So it's always like, okay, he's probably not coming anytime soon. But this is huge. When you see the, the people who followed Jesus just had this hope in his return. And we too, how can we receive that and live for this hope? Um, so what is huge on this and what we step into in this next passage as we look at um, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. So I'm going to pause there, and then I'm going to also read to you then this 29 as it leads into it, what it says is, if you know that he, meaning Jesus, is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And so, as I had mentioned at the beginning, we're going to talk about little children. So we come into this place. John is talking about God our Father, little children. He's using this like type of really um, robust like love language. And I said earlier, it's familial. So it's like family type language. And he's saying, you, do, you have confidence in Jesus. You don't be ashamed. So as we look to Jesus who's righteous, we then do now what's right. And we have a loving father. So as we come to this point of we have children and father, this is huge. And this is such relational language. But first, what, what I want to caution and, and warn against is not to read this verse and be like, well, 
who does what is right has been born of him. And then we switch this side of like legalism and we're like, oh, that person made a mistake. Like they're probably not saved. Like they're a sinner, um, but I do what's right. So I'm, I'm a religious, pious person because I do the right things, right? I, I live to be perfect. I live to be right. So this if you pull this passage out, that's honestly a probably easy thing to slip into out of context. But then when you step in to this idea of looking towards Jesus and abiding in him and seeing that like, wait, Jesus chose the father and he chose to live out of that. And the father, he loved Jesus and he and affirmed him and he encouraged him. And then so he gave his life for the father and not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because he, he wanted to honor the father. So we see this relational dynamic here. So it's, it's to warn like, hey, this could draw us into legalism, but actually if we draw into relationship, it frees us and it, it actually transforms us to be like, wait, I do want to do what is right. And in this, there, there's a tension that we see develops. And um, it's... As we looked at First John, we already kind of saw John addressing this, but we we're like, wait a second, how do we do what is right? Like, are we, do we have sin in our life? Are we sinners? Are we, do we have freedom in Christ? Like, what is happening here? So there's a tension. There's, there's two sides of this tension. There's, there's living in sin, and then there's living with sin. And so as we look back and we saw the introduction of First John, this letter, John addresses this already. So this is kind of just to reiterate too, is like we can still live with sin, but we don't have to live in sin. And so you see this as playing out as when you believe in Jesus, but you're like, it doesn't matter if I look at this stuff on the internet. It doesn't matter if I sleep with my boyfriend. It doesn't matter if I'm like flirting with someone at work. My, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I still believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter that I cheat on this test. You know, these things don't, you know, like I'm a sinner. I have sin, you know, whatever. I'll be forgiven one day. I believe in Jesus, but I continue to choose sin. So this is the idea that you're living in sin. But then there's a, if you're living with sin is realizing that this climactic moment when Jesus enters the world, something happened there. It's like the craziest point of history. We're still trying to figure it out. Like I said this morning, we're still gathering here 2,000 years later to figure out like what happened there. So Jesus, as he inaugurated this kingdom of heaven, he came to claim victory over sin, sin that has ruled and reigned the earth and distorted it and infiltrated all things that were once good in creation from the Lord have now been tainted. Jesus steps into this and these two kingdoms collide, they clash. So we live in the middle of this. We have a freedom, but we're still distorted. We live with sin around us. There's structural sins, individual sins, all this stuff we're trying to make sense of and live in the middle of that. So we live with sin, but we choose in that to confess and we come to the Lord as like, hey, we need you. You, we need you to help us. We need forgiveness. We need to be faithful to you. But that comes as the giving as the Holy Spirit leads us into that. So it's, it's recognizing there is a tension here. And stepping in more into this relational component, John uses, as he opens up this, um, this passage we're looking at, he uses a word. This Greek word is um, meno or meno. And he uses it 24 times in a five-chapter book. 
is a lot of times to use and repeat a word. So if you're going to look at something and we're going to recognize something's important in the Bible, you could just say, how many times is this repeated? So if he says this word 24 times in five chapters, we got to be like, wait, something here is really important. So this Greek word, meno or meno, we would translate today as abide in, live with, continue in, or remain in. So as we see and we live with sin and we're trying to live right as Jesus was righteous, what, it, what we're doing is we're choosing to live, to remain, to continue in God our Father, to continue in following Jesus how he followed his Father. We're continuing to abide in the Holy Spirit being present. We're, we're remaining, we're abiding, and, and this is so relational. And it, it's because it's God lavished his love, it says, I think in the NIV translation, he lavishes love on us so we would be his children. And we do what is right because we've been born of him. So it's this relational language. It's, it's that relationship that drives our actions, who we are as Christians. And, and so in this place, um, I wanted to share kind of this, my own story and a part of my story I think is really important here to realize. And, and so if you bear with me, if we rewind time back to 2014, I, I moved to Arizona to go to the University of Arizona and finish uh, my degree in physiology. I thought I'd be going to med school. So I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish this. Here we go. Um, one year later, I'm at it's coming up on winter break. It's 2015, December, you know, classes are done. I've been dating this girl for a little bit, and I was like, well, you know what? Like, I'm into this girl. I think I'm going to stay in Arizona and hang out and try to, like, spend time with her. We'll, like, go on dates, do all this fun stuff. It's going to be a great winter break. I don't need to go home, see my friends and family, whatever. Like, I'm going to stay here for this girl. Um, winter break sets on, and my expectations are dashed. <laughs> she kind of ghosted me, and I was like, wait, like, why don't you want to hang out? Like, do you want to hang out today? Are we going to hang out today? And it was like, I think we, over the month, we hung out once, like, texted a little bit, and then, like, maybe talked on the phone a couple times. I was, like, floored. I was like, wait, what? We're not, like, spending all our time together? Like, this sucks. Like, what's going on? Um, so, in this place, I'm kind of alone in Arizona. I'm newer here, no, no family, few friends because it's like college town, no one's around. So I have this space where I'm just like, what is life about now? And I've been being discipled and learning about God and how to pursue him and what that means like on an individual level. So it, I just started thinking, and I do think a lot. I'm, it's like one of my struggles is like I internally process all the time. My wife, Jacqueline, hates it because she's like, just tell me. Come, you've thought about this for like six months. Like, why didn't we talk about it yet? I'm like, oh, I thought we talked, but I was only in my head. Um, so I'm like thinking all these thoughts, it's, and then it clicks for me. Um, this one thought, and this is so unrelated to the dating thing, so sorry, but that was the important, that was the lead up. It's always like a guy or a girl relationship that like gets you into the next place, this struggle. It's like, it always happens. I don't know why. So whenever I'm like mentoring a young adult and they have a breakup, I'm like, praise God, you're about to work big time in their life. And they're like hurting. And I'm like, you know what? This is good for you. I try to be empathetic, but I know in my heart, I'm like, yes, it's going to happen. Something's happening right now. Um, so we're going to step in. But so I have this space, I'm reflecting, 
And I realize I start thinking and, and honestly reflecting on how do I view God? And I'm, honestly, I don't even know what scriptures I was reading, but I was like, if God is my father, how do I see him? And you know what my view of God was, was like, he is creator, but he's like in these galaxies far, far away. He's present in his creation, but from like a distance. So he like somehow his power upholds it, but he's not like personally close. So he's like really far away. So when I'm praying, I'm like, I'm, I'm, there's like some doubt. I'm like, well, where do you hear me? Like, you're far away. How do you hear this? Like, I don't have like this crazy microphone. And then what I thought and realized was like transactional, our relationship and how I viewed God. I was like, hey, if I do this right thing for you, or if I go to this ministry event, or if I serve in this way, will you bless me? Or expecting the blessing, really. It, wouldn't, it wasn't really a question. Be like, you will bless me, Lord. I know it. That's how you work. I do something, you give me something. Or he's like, if you do this, I'll give you this. So these two views of distance and almost an absent kind of view and then um, transactional relationship, these click for me. I was like, that's how I view God. Whoa, that's weird. And then I thought the next question, and this is where I like discredit, this is like the Holy Spirit. I like pray Psalm 139 a lot to let the, the Spirit of God just search us and like open myself up. And I was like, you know who my biological father is? He abandoned us when we were young. He's so distant from us. He, he shows his love. He's like, if you love me, here, take my money. Hey, I love you. Let me buy this for you. And I, like, it like floored me. I was like, wait a second. I literally view God and hit perception of God because my view of father has been shaped. And now I'm projecting him like, God, the father, he's distant he's transactional. And it was a moment of like, wait, this isn't who God is. Like when you read Moses, God's like, I am who I am. He is God. And we need to come to him and learn who he is from him. And we are shaped by others. We're shaped by our culture. So we, there's that tension there. And even some people have, they have good parents and that's amazing. And, and so you get to see God and his character in the goodness of your parents. But then some of us who have some like childhood traumas and bad parents and stuff, then it's like that really shaped and formed me. So I'm, I'm like, oh Lord, like I confess and let me repent and let me actually see who you are. Like I want to know if God lavished his love on us, like what does that mean as a father to love me? And that was huge. And that like clicked. And when I, as I'm reading this letter that John's writing to the to the church at the time and the future church, it's just, he's like, what do we hold on to? Let us hold on to the true reality of who is God, our protector. God is our provider. He makes a way. He knows us. Like when Hagar's out in the wilderness and she's been abandoned as a pregnant woman and about to die of probably thirst, starvation, and heat exhaustion, God comes and she says, you're the God who sees me. You are the God who sees, and that, so as, as we kind of humble ourselves and come and allow the Spirit to search us, now we're seeing, oh, Father, our Father in heaven, wow, He's amazing. He truly loves the world, and He loves us, and He calls us now His dear children. So we see this, this dynamic that John gives us as he's saying, abide in Him, continue in Him. Why would we continue Him? Because He loves you. He calls you his children. He gives you. He provides. He, he knows us. 
And so it's this beautiful relationship that we enter. And it's pretty radical to think. And now that we receive this love, we choose differently. We choose maybe not to like send some certain pictures of people. We choose not to be in relationships with different people. We choose specific ways to act because this loving nature of God and who he's called us to be. And as we step into this a little bit, we see what happens of this. And John says, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. So it's like, it's what's crazy to me in this, and it's also very important that we live into this, is like, the world doesn't recognize this stuff. It's like, hey, why would you give your money to these random collection of people? Why would you give away wealth when you could invest that? Like inflation's off the chart right now. Like you should invest that and make more money off that. You shouldn't give it away for free. Hey, why would you choose not to have like a side hustle right now and go to a Bible study? That seems ridiculous. Wouldn't you want to make an extra dollar or two or whatever it is? You know, like why would you choose not to sleep with, with your person? Like why would you not have sex? You know, like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, because this relationship. So the ways we live as as children, like people don't recognize and they don't understand that in us, but then it also points us to, um, points them to God in us. And and I think, and I want to share in this moment, and then I'll start wrapping up, is um, just kind of a God testimony in this. It's like sometimes our commitment to Jesus and doing things differently differently than the rest is really frustrating. It's hard. You don't really have people that's like, hey, I saw you didn't lie. Good job. You know, I'm going to encourage you. It's like all these moments of integrity that you choose out of faithfulness are mostly unseen. And with family, like, so Jack and I have been married almost two years. Well, it's more like barely over a year and a half. But, but both of us have some, like, some, some family struggles, right? And so choosing to be with our families, in our families, loving our families is so tense. It's awkward. We just honestly have no idea sometimes what to do or say, so we just show up. And when we first transitioned up to Flagstaff, Jacqueline lost two grandparents within three weeks, uh, separate sides of the family, so it's like so unheard of. And we we're just like, it was like this tragedy. And they were both like the, um, like the patriarch and matriarch of the family in a, in a good way. I know there's some loaded terms in there. Patriarchy. I'm like, oh, watch out. But no, in a good way. Like her grandpa, he was like such a loving, devout family man. He passed away. He, he had fought for like 40 years. He had like four heart attacks, double, like two open heart, double bypasses. Like he fought hard for a long time and, and finally went to rest. And her Gigi, like she's the matriarch. She is uh, the patron of faith in her family. She's the one that taught and, and gave Jesus and passed that along in the family. So both of these people pass away and we, we choose to be present with the family. And honestly, it's, it's really hard. It's really awkward. It's uncomfortable. You just, I, I personally am like, I just want to fix this. Like, can I take you to counseling? Can I like, can I give you the fix? But that is like not also how things work with people. It's like, we don't need to be fixed. We just need people with us. And in this time, so we have no idea what's happening, right? So, but we're with the family. We're with our grandma and she's grieving the loss of her like 60 year partner. And we're just with her for like weeks, um, letting her vent to us and talk and like all the things. And 
we continue on in life, right? We go through that hard period. Well, coming up to this week, Jacqueline's cousin texts her is like, hey, I want to meet up. Let's talk about Jesus. And we're like, what the, like, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> like, you're coming from, and her fam, like, some of the people in her family are, like, very serious in their beliefs and anti-beliefs of Jesus. So we're like, oh, man, like, what is going to happen here? Da-da-da. So her cousin says, Jacqueline, like, the things my family believe in and say really don't make sense. But you and Kyle being present for our family and for grandma, like, that was, you're the only one who chose that. She's like, I had this experience with God when I was camping, and I remembered, like, you were just, you choose our family. You choose to love them. And she's like, I believe in Jesus, and I want to figure this out now. And so the way we live these things we do, I, sometimes it's like, I just like, why do we got to be a Christian? It's so hard to be faithful, but it, these people see this stuff. And then if we present and we're present with them, they ask us questions and we, we show them who this loving father, we show them the ways of Jesus and, and we introduce them to this relationship so they can also be children. And, and so that's what we, as we look at this passage, we, we look to each other and in this room of like, hey, we believe in Jesus. We're all in a different place trying to work this out and figure it out, but let us, let us abide in him. Let us choose what is right in him and let us live for him because he truly does love us. Um, so as we end this time, and we end this passage as the children of God and our heavenly father has given us this child identity. Let us rely on God. Let us choose to need God. And let us see him as our father who cares for us, our father who provides for us, who protects us, who nurtures us. Let us recognize also that the ways we've learned about God may not be him truly. Like the things, the world, or our movies, or our books, even the way we, when we come to the Bible, like myself, like I, I got some baggage. So when I read things, I may not be reading it perfectly. But let us, let us allow God into our, our minds, our hearts, our lives, and in community, figure out, let's look to who is God. Let, let us know this loving Father who gave himself for the world. And to free us from sin. So let the Spirit of God search the depths of our heart, like Psalm 139 talks about, and show us the ways in which we are in error. Church, will we comp- continue to remain in this lavish love that God, that God has given, and would we live for him? Uh, let me pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you came to us and you forgave us that you chose us, that you loved us, Lord. You didn't ask anything of us. You just made a way for us to be present with you, Lord God. And I just thank you that as we come into your presence, we can stand in confidence. We don't have to have shame, Lord, because we have freedom in you, Lord. And we look to Jesus and we ask that you, you give us the strength, you give us the wisdom to choose how to live righteously and rightly and honor you and love you, Lord. And we thank you for today. We thank you that we can still celebrate you and gather and worship and sing and praise. And we just thank you, Lord, for this space and time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.